Sam, you can't go. I can't go. Oh, no. Oh. Now, Sam, <laughs> hold your hand out. No, I'm not going to hit it. <laughs> I want to see, no, 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 just one hand. I want to know, the lad hold it. I want to see how long, do you reckon you can go for 30 seconds balancing it? No? Chris has no confidence. (laughs) Okay. No, let hold it, let hold it. We'll get Chris back later. Okay. (laughs) Ready, set, go. Oh, <laughs> keep going, Sam. Keep going. Oh, that'll do me. That'll do me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. There was method in my madness, actually. Um, it's funny, this past, whoops, this past week or so, um, uh, we were in a little home group, Pam and I, and I actually said to them, I said, um, I'm going to give you one word and I want you to think of a story about it. And the word was balance. And every story they told involved some form of pain, <laughs> like skin, knees, tears, bruised ribs, broken arms and bones. And I thought, um, how appropriate it is because when there is no balance in our Christian lives, um, it's not knees that are skinned or egos that are bruised, but it's actually a whole, a soul, which can be damaged. And if I was to say to you this morning, How do you know that you're living a balanced Christian life? What would you say? Or would you, as say, if I said to you, is your life balanced in terms of your relationship with Jesus? What would you say? And I want to answer that this morning. I can see you're all on the edge of your seats dying to know the answer. (laughs) Because the answer is part in part in this lovely passage, which is up there. <clears throat> and when you look at it, the first thing we need to know, as this comes out of chapter 4 in Mark, we could call it the chapter of the seeds. There's the um, story of the sower, sowing the seeds. There's this story which is growing the seed. And then there is a story of the mustard seed. And as well as that, there is the parable of the uh, hiding your light under a bushel. Don't hide your light under a bushel. And um, it's interesting that this is the only place in Scripture where this parable is. So when I was reading in my quiet time just a little while ago, I thought, What does this mean? (laughs) You know sometimes how when you look at parables you can go to Matthew or compare it with Luke and you can't. It is just sitting there in isolation in the book of Mark. So when you look at it, what's it mean? Well, first of all notice that the 
parable is meant to be a picture of the kingdom of God, of how God's um, kingdom functions. And I thought, right, I've got, got that bit. But what is going on here that describes the kingdom of God? Okay, now I need Chris. You knew it was coming. I need you, Josh. And I need you back, Sam, because you haven't got any chairs around here for me to stand these on. These guys are going to be prop holders. Okay, so you stand there, Chris. There you go, Josh. Okay. Now, in this, in this um, particular parable, there are three actions. Three actions, okay? And the first one is, excuse my cartoon drawings, is the sowing. So it says, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the land. So that's the first action. Now, obviously, that person is a farmer because at the end it talks about a sickle and about a harvest. So talking about, here's a farmer, he's sowing the seed. Doesn't look overly like a farmer, but never mind. Then the second one is he sleeps and rises at night and the seed sprouts. Here's the sprout. This is my, excuse my drawing again. Here's the seed. Here's it sprouting. The first blade, then the ear. So here is sowing, okay? Here is growing. And then, verse 29, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And here is the reaping. So have you got that? There's three distinct actions. There is sowing, there is growing, and there is reaping. Now, thanks guys, it's fantastic. Put your hands together, he's got what a wonderful, wonderful prop holders. Now, when you see it as that, you say, okay, sowing, growing, reaping. Well, makes sense, doesn't it, that when you look at a seed put in ground, notice that the emphasis in this parable is not so much on the seed, but on what happens to the seed. Now, what's the farmer do? He sows, and then what's it say? He sleeps and rises night and day, so he does nothing, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So, his part is a sowing. Nature's part, or God's part here, is the growing. And then the fruit of all that is the reaping. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, and I, you go and check the experts on what the commentators have to say about this. It's obvious that just as seed grows, and God's part in that through nature is to make it grow, it's obvious that it's just not a little agricultural story to educate us on how seed grows, but rather the, the meaning is in terms of spiritual growth, in terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of growth in the kingdom, that mystery happens by the Lord, doesn't it? That's not very profound, but that's what the parables, part of the parable is saying. That okay, whether it's in my life or your life, 
or whether it's in your home group or small group, whatever you call them here, or in the youth group or in the uh, kids' church or in the church as a whole or in the church universal, growth, that mystery of, of spiritual growth is what God does. And as I read it, I thought, well, is that the only thing that this is saying? That our growth within ourselves ultimately comes from God. And then I thought, wait a minute. There's this bit here where humanity or us in terms of our relationship with Christ, we actually do something. And I love this part of this parable. And at the end... It's us that reap the benefit of that. So, so as I looked at it, I thought, yes, our part, God's part, and then we reap the benefit of that in the end. And as I thought about that, I thought, and this isn't deeply profound, but I thought in terms of us growing, either individually or collectively, God does that. But he chooses in that process to use us to bring growth in other people. So whether you're an accountant, a mum, a dad, brother, sister, grandparent, crossing lady (laughs) if you have Jesus in your life you're serving him aren't you and you're doing your part but as you do your part it's God that does the mystery in it you know that mysterious moment when you can look back and think oh my goodness I can't believe our kids have finally got this and you know that God's done something you've done your part but God's done his mystery part in that and you have the, the beauty of being able to enjoy the benefit and the fruit of that. Um, let me tell you a story. One of the guys that I mentor is in Queensland, a young guy called Brad. He's 25 and uh, works in a, uh, I think it's Church of Christ in Ipswich. <coughs> and he was... He's getting a broad education very quickly in his church. The senior pastor's left. He stepped stepped in for the moment and um, had to take a funeral. So he goes to this funeral, takes a funeral, and there's an 87-year-old guy there, right? And he has never been to church. People have tried to get him to church, but he's not going to go to church. Don't you tell me whether I need to go to church or not. Anyway, Brad, my young 25-year-old pastor, shares the gospel at the funeral service of this particular car, of another character. And at the end of the funeral service, this 87-year-old guy turns to one, one of his mates and says, oh, I want to go along to church next week. The guy nearly falls over. This guy never goes to church, never wants to go to church. So he goes along to church. And as he goes along to church, and here's Brad again to speak, 
He says, I want to talk to this guy. And on the Tuesday after that Sunday, uh, in his study, Brad led this 87-year-old guy to Christ. Amazing. Brad said to me on the phone when we are talking about it this week, he said, he ain't got long to go. He just made it in time. And I think about that. Brad did his part. And God does this mysterious stuff in his life where he creates a desire to want to know more. And then Brad has the privilege of leading this guy to Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Could that gentleman have come to know Jesus without Brad? And the answer is yes. God can do anything. I could tell you stories of people who've come to know Jesus without any background. But God, because as we serve him, gives us opportunities in a whole variety of ways, in every aspect of our life, not just in evangelism, but in every area of our life. And as we serve him, he does this mysterious work, whether it's in our children, whether it's the unseen work that you know nothing about simply because you talk to that same person every week where you get a cappuccino. God does this mysterious work and in the end we have the benefit of seeing that. Ian Bounds is an old time preacher who uh, wrote much of our prayer. made this very simple statement um, God's method is men and is used in a generic sense obviously he didn't have to use Brad but that was his method and why do you think Brad felt like after he led this guy to Christ do you reckon that he felt closer to Jesus do you reckon that he felt that he had grown in his experience of Jesus and you and I for those of us here who do know Jesus, have moments, don't we, where we do our part, God does his part, and the result of that is we enjoy the benefit of the fruit of that, and we grow in our relationship with Jesus. I can tell you countless stories of how we've taken literally hundreds of young people when I was in youth dimension away on outreach down in Port Ferry. I remember we were down there in Port Ferry and there was a bunch of guys, drunk as skunks, marching up to town, coming to the Port Ferry Scout Hall where we were running our outreach, our coffee shop outreach, and they were going to tear it to bits. (laughs) We had a prayer room, and you need to know the prayer room was pretty packed at that time. (laughs) And we were praying because we knew what was coming and it just dissipated. We're doing our bit. God just steps in and does his bit. And we grow in that process of serving him. Now, I don't want you to think, therefore, that if God's method is men, I'm just a pawn that he uses to do his will here or his will there or his will there. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. The reason that he does that 
is because, and that's what this whole parable is about here when it's talking about the place of what the farmer does and the place of what good nature or God does. It's about relationship. We grow in our relationship. And the reason God gives you the children, the grandchildren, the jobs that you've got and the things that you do is not just because you're a pawn in his plan, but because God indwells you. And he wants to involve you in relationship, which just happens to be in the area that you serve. It, <laughs> we, this, to a, to a non-Christian, this must man sound stupid, but I know God. I know him. I not only know him, but in the person of Jesus and his spirit, he indwells me. God is in me. He is in me. I'm his temple. <laughs> and you know what? He's my friend. Because I'm in relationship with him. And that relationship comes out of serving him. Isn't that great? He's in you. People out there think you're nuts. Or think you're some kind of uh, weird uh, spiritual guru or whatever it might happen to be. But this is what the scripture is saying. And in this story here, <coughs> this is how the kingdom of God functions. This is how it functions. In relationship as we serve him and growth happens. Now, Let's go back to this. Can I my men back up again? Sorry to do this to you again. Because I want to raise a question which, which will help with the props. Thanks again. All right. I'm going to answer two questions. But remember we're talking about balance. How do we know whether we've got balance in our Christian life? Our part, God's part, and the result of it. What happens? What happens if I say, I'm going to do this part? What happens in balance? I'll talk about that in a second. Or what happens if I say, I'm not going to do this part? In balance happens. Thanks again, guys. It's so helpful. What happens... Because I think the answer to those two questions help explain whether we have balance in our life or not. You see, the first one, what happens if I decide I want to do God's part? Now, most frequently the reason that happens is because we can't wait. We can't wait. God, I've been praying about this for so long. I've got to do something about it. I've been told I've got to make a decision by Monday. I better do something about it. Andrew Murray, who was an a old-time 1700s saint, said words to this effect, not these exact words, but this is what he meant. Pick what do you find are the most difficult things that you have to do 
in your life, right? And then go one step further and that's how difficult waiting is. Waiting is hard. And impatience, where we want to force God's will, brings imbalance in our relationship with him. Um, I've got four apple trees, right? And I'm going to... We, we netted them yesterday because we are... Oh, these jolly white parrots. You get them down here in Montmorency, they're everywhere. And I, I'm going to show you some of my fruit. <laughs> I, I, it's just the best fruit. Oh, I can open this. Yep. It's going to open. Yep, yes. Um, Granny Smith. <laughs> Granny Smith. That is a Granny Don't laugh. Josh, that's a Granny Smith. Right? <laughs> right? And... <laughs> Well, you, you'll love this one. You want to get your teeth in this one. It's a, um, it's a dwarf red Fuji apple. Oh, so nice to eat. And, and then I, I've got all oh, these good eating apples. Pink lady. Pink lady, hello. Yeah, if you want my, I'll give this pink lady to you free afterwards. And, and then, uh, at last, uh, I've got the, the old famous Jonathan. <laughs> but I've ruined the fruit. Why? Because I picked it too early. That's useless. Hmm. Parrots will eat it, but I won't. <laughs> That's what we do when we fail to wait. We pick the fruit that God has got for us too early and ruin it completely. Um, here's some things I, I thought are difficult to wait for. See if some of these apply to you. Waiting for money to come in from you know not where. <laughs> I'm waiting, Lord. <laughs> waiting for your partner to change to a godly way of living or waiting for your partner even to come to know Jesus. This is one for us oldies. Waiting for our children to appreciate us when they use us up. <laughs> That's a long wait. <laughs> or waiting for a small group or Sunday school class or leadership group to change. I better whisper this one. Waiting for your church to change. Waiting for your family to really understand the situation you're in. Waiting for impossible provision when your super is dissolving or your rent is rising or your mortgage is taking off like a NASA rocket. Oh, and this is a hard one. Waiting for God to heal you, whether it's emotionally spiritually or physically. You see, every one of these waiting situations provides a temptation for us to step into that middle card and saying, I'm going to do something about it. And the result is we pick the fruit too early 
and the balance in our relationship tips. And so often we're not even aware of that. I might be speaking to someone, hopefully not, but I might be speaking to someone this morning and you're actually angry with God or frustrated with God because you've been waiting so long for something to happen and it just hasn't happened. I've got a situation at the moment where I know that God has promised me something and I've been waiting for 18 months for it to happen. Easy to get frustrated. He that believes shall not make haste. Isaiah twenty eight sixteen. What, what what's the result if we fudge and we step into that middle section there? What's the result of that if we fudge and say, "Well, I'm just going to give God a helping hand." Well. Chris gave us a ripper example this morning. Didn't he? <laughs> tried to fudge Abraham. Tried to fudge in terms of Hagar. Gee, that really went well, didn't it? <laughs> We're reaping the result of this present day. Oh, what about that? What about that story of of, um, of poor old King Saul? That he's he's waiting for Samuel to come. You know the story to offer a sacrifice before they go out and win the battle because, you know, God's going to bless them when Samuel makes a sacrifice. And Saul looks around and his soldiers are running everywhere. They're deserting him. He thinks, we're not going to get anywhere. So he decides, I'm going to be priest for the day. Blasphemous action. And you want to hear what the result is? Let me read it. You probably know it. Samuel says this to Saul because he didn't wait. That was a foolish thing, Saul. You have not kept the commandment that the eternal, your true God, gave to you. He was willing to establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom, your dynasty, will not last. Isn't that tragic? Lost his kingdom because he couldn't wait and wanted to step into that middle card of what God was meant to do. Oh, my friend, it is a dangerous thing to try to do God's part in your life and it will bring imbalance in your relationship with Jesus. And the last question, um, what happens when we refuse to do our part, take the role that he has called us to do? Goodness, you know, husbands and parents that haven't fulfilled the role that they're meant to do, and what's happened to their kids? But I think, and I have to say, this particularly is something that I struggle with, is it's when God asks you to do something, that's His part, and there's a fear factor involved. I remember <laughs> with with Pam, um, we were in Paris. That's just to let you know, we've been overseas. And uh, we're only on the first level of the Eiffel Tower. Now, if you know the Eiffel Tower, there's different levels. My grandson went right to the top. He was telling me about it. 
and fair dinkum, Pam will tell you this, I'm standing only on the first level and looking down and my hands are gripped <laughs> to the railing. I now understand that expression, frozen with fear. I just absolutely <laughs> frozen. I, I struggled to peel my fingers off and even go walk backwards away from it. Because the nature of fear, it, it is, it's true, isn't it? It paralyzes you. How many times have you said, oh, I should have said, but the reason you didn't say it was because of fear. And fear, in the end, and this sounds ugly, but in the end, can bring disobedience. God calls you to do something, comes up, somebody comes up and asks you, would you like to do this within the church? Now, I don't say you say yes to everything you're offered, but you go away and you pray about it, and somehow deep down inside, Jesus gives you this conviction, yes, do it. But fear says, oh, let me pray about it, let me wait, and in the end you back off. That's disobedience. And that will bring imbalance in your relationship with Jesus. Um, Don't you love that story? I love that story about Peter, you know, and Jesus calls him to come and walk in the water. And I'd love to see this in the movie. I don't know whether to do this in The Chosen. I haven't seen that. But the picture of Peter, can you imagine? He lifts one foot up, puts over the edge of the boat and steps into the water expecting to go straight to David Jones's locker. <laughs> but it's, it's like a, I'm walking on ice. Puts his other foot <laughs> and he starts walking <laughs> like this. I can almost hear the other disciples say, way to go, Pete, way to go. <laughs> but you know the story as well as I do. He sees the circumstances round about him, starts to sink and Jesus saves him. What circumstances at the moment in your life and in my life are causing me not only to take my eyes off Jesus, but are causing me to be disobedient? to what he wants me to do. I hate talking about this because it hits home. <laughs> it does. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm a backyard, I'm not even a backyard psychiatrist, but I do know that my observation of people is that there are, there are many people who are just fear prone. I fit that category. Um, Here's something that we're often afraid of. Afraid to raise the topic with our wife or husband or child when we know where it's going to lead to, but we know we need to do it. Afraid to do something that God is asking you to do because to other people it defies common sense. I remember when I was asked, when Jesus said to me, I want you to quit teaching. And I'd just been given a raise and go to Bible college. My mother appealed to me to common sense. Don't do it, Robert. 
You need to teach deaf people. <laughs> Very easy to give in to that fear, isn't it? Or the fear to change, to challenge what you know is ungodly. Maybe in your workplace. Probably hardest in your marriage, I reckon. Isn't it? Fear to challenge what is ungodly when it's easy to stay as silent as Earl of Rue. Easy. Or the fear to spend because it threatens your security. I'm not going to pay $5.50 for that cup of coffee. That's ridiculous. Now, it may be ridiculous, it probably is, but most coffees are that now. <laughs> anyway, but the real reason isn't a matter of stewardship. The real reason is, is deep down there's a fear that God won't provide for you. And that brings imbalance in our relationship. Um, I could go on, um, but I won't. 365 times in the Bible it says, don't be afraid. There's got to be a reason God sets that. Hasn't there? There's got to be a reason. And if we give in to that fear and bring disobedience, then I'll bring imbalance in our relationship. Very quickly, one last closing story and then I'll finish. Talk about balance. One of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life was I was mowing our um, grass around our rental place on a sit-on mower. And my little five-year-old son was there and he was sitting on my my knees here and I was steering with my arms around him like that. Some of you may remember this story, may have told it before. And in a moment of not thinking, I picked him up and sat him on the front of the um, motor mower's bonnet. Without thinking, turned and he went under and the blade went through his hand and um, took two inches of bone out of there but the artery uh, that was there was not severed. People prayed all over Victoria. This is, my son's now 46, 47, but he was five then. People prayed all over Victoria. It took out the growth bits at the end of the bone and the doctors didn't know what to do. They had a partial hand still alive um, and didn't know what to do. And as people prayed, the bone grew back. You know, the doctor said, isn't nature wonderful? <laughs> when the growth points are gone, nature had been cut out of it already. We've just come back from uh, our time in Queensland with our son and daughter-in-law and four grandkids. And I see Jamie preach. When he preaches, um, he hasn't got a little finger and these two fingers are curled over on his left hand and he can move these. And every time I see him preach, there's a stab of pain in my heart. Because just for a moment, I got that balance wrong. And I see the consequences of it now. Far greater the consequences when there is no balance in our walk with Jesus. And if at the, this moment you're going through a time where you're facing fear, 
don't let that ruin the balance. If you're facing a time of waiting, don't let that ruin your balance. He will come through every time because he is within you. And you're going to grow as you do that because he loves you. Our Father, we want to thank you for just these incredible truths from your word. And as you search our hearts out this morning, Lord, we want balance in our life. Not just so that we can have a wonderful relationship with you, which it is, but so that people will see you living in us and be drawn to you and enjoy a relationship with you like we do. Oh, bless us this week and when we face moments of challenge in these areas, give us courage to stand firm. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having us this morning.